Welcome to the Iowa Agronomy Update, where we talk all things agronomics. I'm your host, Brent Schwinnaker, and this podcast is brought to you by Asgro DeKalb Brand Seeds. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Iowa Agronomy Update. Uh, this episode is a little quicker uh, than what we have uh, been used to in the past. We've normally been about every two weeks, but hey, uh, we've got some uh, good good stuff here to go over today, and we've invited a new member uh, to the podcast. Today we have Matthew Nelson. Hey, Matthew, how are you? Hey, Brent, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's uh, a beautiful summer day here yeah. on May 23rd. It seems like we've <laughs> skipped spring altogether. Yeah, that, that seems to be uh, our trend here this year is our seasons are, have been flip-flopped here for, for a few months anyway, it seems like. And uh, we've got, we invited Matthew on today to really go through a, uh, and switch gears here. In the, our last four episodes, we talked a lot about corn and soybeans and, and certain products and emergence and the problems that we've been having uh, across the state of getting those products in the ground. But uh, we've got Matthew on today as a as one of our resident uh, weed scientists on board in, in TDR. And, and Matthew, do you just want to give the audience a, a little idea of what, you know, what is a TDR? You do and what part of the state do you reside in? So TDR stands for Technology Development Representative and uh, I cover Southwest Iowa for Monsanto. So there are five of us total in the state, four of us that work more on the crop side, the seed and trait side of the business, and then uh, a weed management TDR who covers weed management throughout the state. So uh, I'm a seed and trait TDR. I work out of uh, Atlantic, Iowa, and my region is about Highway 30 over to Interstate 35 as you go south towards Missouri. And what we do in our organization, technology development, is really help assess products that are about to become commercialized products. So kind of that last stage of commercialization research, uh, as well as helping assess our current portfolio of products. So helping growers better place our current products, doing local agronomic research, and supporting our sales teams through some of that need-based research in different areas across the state. Yeah, and so you you also kind of come to us recently. Uh, I think you just uh, just celebrated your one year anniversary. Is that correct? Yeah, that that is correct. I uh, I've been with Monsanto for about uh, a year and a, and one month or so. I, I my background is I'm from Western Iowa, originally near Sioux City, the town of Moville, and got my undergraduate at Iowa State in agronomy, and then uh, went to the university in. Lincoln to get a master's degree in agronomy weed science. So weed science is definitely my background and um, I'm excited to talk weeds and herbicides here today, Brent. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's why we've got you here, Matt. And uh, we, we've kind of had that unique, like you said earlier, we've got, now we've got summer uh, and it looks like summer for not just a day or two, we've got a, a good stretch here of, of high eighties, low nineties and, and even overnight temps now that are, are in the mid, mid-60s mid to high-60s with uh, summer-like humidity, and, and which is a, a big change here since uh, in the last, what, three, oh, wow, three weeks, really, since we've really got started planting this crop back in, I'd say, late April, that 20, 
25th, 26th, 27th timeframe. So we haven't even been at this a month. And, and Mother Nature really threw us for a curveball for much of the state. And, and some of our northern uh, friends are, are still fighting the good fight. But, you know, we, we didn't really get that, uh, those heat units early to really get the, our, weed, our weed pressure uh, off to a, a good start. So if you just give us some, some pros and cons, maybe, if you will, or if maybe that's not the best way to look at it. But you know, what are the, what are some of those goods and bads around that delayed weed pressure that we saw from, you know, uh, the lack of heat, uh, getting those uh, weeds uh, off to a good start. So what, what, you know, what, what's happening now that we are finally getting those heat units? Yeah, that, that's a, another good question. And, and there are definitely good you know, pros and cons, uh, a, a good side uh, and a bad side to the spring that we've had. So I think that the first difference with you know, the later spring, and I, when I say later spring, I mean, uh, it's taken a while for us to get up to those warmer days. And again, we seem to have skipped most of spring. So one, one thing that I noticed right away, Brent, and I'm sure farmers have too, as they road farm and drive around throughout the state is you didn't see the carpet of, uh, of, of weeds coming up in April, the winter annual pressure that we're used to seeing. So some of those weeds include uh, henbit so that the purple fields we see a lot of times in, in early April and shepherd's perks, uh, things like that. We, we, we really didn't see uh, any weed pressure uh, early. And that was more pronounced as you move further north. They're really not, still not seeing uh, as much weed pressure as I think uh, they would normally expect. So where I think some guys have seen benefit from that is certainly no-till farmers. Uh, there's a lot of no-till in the northwest part of the state and that western corridor. Uh, really what that means is you kind of had more time to go out and spray a burn down, which was really needed due to the weather we had, you know, for a long time, it wasn't warm enough to spray one. And then for about a two week stretch there, the, the wind was at about 30 mile an hour every day. So uh, far too windy to spray there again. Uh, so that's kind of helped us there in terms of where that can also cause some problems. I know as, uh, as we kind of got more delayed and there wasn't a need for fields to be sprayed early, uh, a lot of acres were all planted right at once. And I've heard, uh, in several different areas of the state that put a lot of pressure on co-ops and retailers to go out and get fields sprayed and consequently a lot of pre-merged herbicides uh, and the burn down that usually goes on with them uh, did not get sprayed. Uh, so that has left us with a lot of corn and bean acres uh, with crop that's coming out of the ground and uh, they're still bare in terms of uh, a herbicide application to get uh, a residual product down. So what that can lead to some difficulties is large seed broadleaves like uh, cockleburr or velvet leaf. Uh, a lot of those weeds have been uh, emerging for a while now and are, are pretty much at full emergence. Uh, common and giant ragweed would be in that camp as well. Uh, so if you weren't able to get out early and, and didn't really get to spray around planting time, uh, you may be dealing with some pretty large weeds as you move into the early postseason. Yeah, and, and you made you made some good points there, uh, Matt, around, you know, we, we slammed a lot of corn and beans in the ground and a in a short amount of time and a, and a lot of, a lot of big three, you know, or a couple, three, four day pocket windows in here in the last three weeks. Now we've got the heat units as corn and beans are cranking out of the ground. And like you said, they, they're, they've no pre-emergence or no residual with them. So now that we've got these crops out of the ground, you know, 
what are some options for this corn that's approaching maybe V V2 in some cases or beans that are, are maybe even getting past that emergence even into V1 on beans now? What are, what are some options that we've got for these bare, no residual fields? Uh, you know, that's really the, the, probably the biggest con of uh, the spring that we've had is as that crop comes out of the ground, when you're looking for uh, a product on uh, residual period, uh, you really have kind of missed the window where you have a very wide range of products. So in soybean, for example, uh, once that crop has emerged, you no longer are able to apply uh, soil applied PPO herbicides. Uh, there are quite a few that that kind of restricts herbicides such as, you know, Valor or Sharpen, products of, of that nature, good residual pre-products that uh, you really can't apply once those beans are uh, at the cracking stage. So uh, that really makes it a, a more challenging to try to find um, a residual product. And, and really, it's, it's the same in corn. Now, with corn, you have a little bit more flexibility in terms of products with residual you can put, put down uh, once that corn is out of the ground. Uh, Triple Flex 2 is, is a good example of that. Uh, Harness Max and, and Harness Ultra, or Extra, excuse me, uh, are also products that will give you some, some nice residual, uh, and you don't have to worry about using that with the corn coming out of the ground. Uh, going back to soybean, I think uh, what we've really seen, again, with a, a real inability to go out and spray a burn down uh, really has provided a lot of utility to farmers uh, who have planted uh, Roundup Ready Extend soybeans and are utilizing that Roundup Ready uh, Extend cropping system. And where that flexibility comes in, Brent, is uh, with, it, with the, their ability to spray uh, dicamba, uh, specifically Extendamax herbicide, right at the, the time of planting, whether that's a day before or sometimes the day after, depending on the field conditions. Uh, that's been really beneficial to, to our growers. It gives you that option of not having to wait seven days uh, and also allows you to make kind of a delayed burn down once your soybeans are in the ground. And uh, that product will also give you uh, some nice residual as well. So I think the flexibility of that system has been, has been really key to growers so far. Uh, that's a good point, Matt. And I think it really played played well into our favor uh, this year with that delayed spring on being able to, uh, you know, you didn't need that residual a, a month early before you planted your beans like we have in past years. This year, you're able to wait, wait till that planting time, spray that uh, max herbicide in the extend cropping system, and then plant, plant right away and not have to worry about being off label uh, with those plant back restrictions. So I think that uh, played well. Uh, this year, uh, one of the, definitely one of the pros uh, to a delayed spring. So absolutely. So I'm sure uh, this is this is definitely the time of year you are getting a, a number of early season injury or carryover uh, calls, pictures, or uh, just general text messages on what's going on. Uh, any any common trends that are that are coming up here uh, over the last week or so? Yeah, you know, tis the season, I like to say, is in terms of when we start getting calls uh, on herbicide-related issues. And I think there are really kind of four big ones that we've seen thus far. And these are not issues that are so much uh, unique to this year and to this, to this spring. Uh, I think there's one, though, that is kind of more pronounced due to the summer weather that we had. So uh, the first one I'll start with is something we, we can see – uh, almost every year, and it really wasn't as bad this year as we've seen in the past, but there was a period in April where uh, 
I mentioned it was very windy and it was very hot and didn't rain for about two weeks. And at least in Southwest Iowa, there were quite a few residual pre-herbicides that went on before that period. And then nothing was really planted right after that. And we went about 10 days without rainfall. So when we talk about residual herbicides that are applied to the soil, a lot of those uh, really need some sort of incorporation, whether that's a, a quarter to a half inch of rainfall or mechanical incorporation through tillage. Now, some of those fields did get tilled, but other ones where they were you know, relying on rainfall for incorporation, they really didn't get that timely rainfall. Uh, in general, I think that's uh, really kind of a localized problem to where the areas who missed out on that rainfall in general, the state has received uh, plenty of rain. The guys in Northern Iowa would tell you too much rain here the last two or three weeks. Um, some of the other issues really uh, are problems with herbicide carryover. Uh, the one that I, I mentioned earlier, I think is more pronounced this year due to uh, the drought and the dryness that has persisted from last summer uh, is carryover of uh, PPO herbicides. So again, this is a fairly common issue. Uh, these would be group 14 uh, PPO inhibiting herbicides that were applied in July of this past growing season. So some of those products would include things like Flexstar, uh, Cobra, uh, Prefix, uh, products of that nature. Uh, and I think a lot of these products were sprayed to kind of clean up some escapes, whether it's in high traffic areas along roadsides or just kind of that uh, those weeds you see poking through the canopy in July. Uh, the issue with those applications is that uh, if you use too high of a rate, or you have spray overlap areas where they got more than the labeled rate of the product. Uh, in a dry winter, that product will persist in the soil and cause issues when you switch to corn the following growing season. So those products in general have about a 10 month uh, plant back restriction. And I think what we've seen so far this spring is in, is in drier areas uh, where that product was applied late, we've seen some carryover. Uh, a lot of pictures going around on Twitter, a, a pretty common symptom of that will be necrosis kind of down the midrib of the leaf uh, and sometimes a little bit of a striping from that as well and uh, oftentimes the leaves can even roll up a little bit just because those leaves don't have as much integrity due to that herbicide uh, injury. Uh, in terms of kind of what to do about it, uh, really in most cases corn plants are resilient enough to grow, uh, grow through this. Uh, it's not something that's going to set the, cor the corn plant back permanently. However, there can be uh, damage above, you know, 10 to 15% uh, in fields where, again, too high of a rate was used, or maybe it was, it received double the, the amount of herbicide due to an overlap area. Uh, in those cases, you can have stand loss. Uh, and if it's significant, the question then becomes uh, how, how much herbicide you think is left in the soil. The, the caution there is uh, you may plant back into that herbicide again, uh, when, if you decide to replant that corn. So that's pretty rare that we don't normally see uh, that level of carryover. Uh, one of the other issues that, that I've seen is some injury from ALS herbicides to, uh, to corn roots. Uh, this can happen for a few different reasons. The, the most common is carryover of something like pursuit uh, in a high pH soil area. So in the southern half of the state, when we think about high pH areas, uh, it's usually just localized pockets of a field or areas along a road where that gravel dust has kind of raised over time. So it's not uncommon to see a field with plenty of organic matter and a normal pH where there will be no issues with uh, ALS injury from carryover. And then in that same field, in those areas I just mentioned, you could have some of that herbicide symptomology. So uh, really nothing out of the ordinary besides uh, the dry winter creating some problems uh, carryover wise.
Yeah, good good points, Matt. And obviously, some some a couple things there to to watch out for. Uh, so it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be a weed science talk here if we didn't uh, uh, step foot into our um, extend cropping system uh, talk. And and really, guys are uh, probably got their burn downs on, or or maybe they're in that scenario where they've got beans with no residual on them, but. For the most part, you know, we're we're coming up here on maybe uh, in the next probably couple of weeks, maybe our our hopefully last uh, post application. Uh, so, you know, walk us through that um, extend cropping system or Roundup Ready extend cropping system uh, uh, going into these uh, post uh, post emergence applications. Yeah, no, you're you're spot on, and it's uh, it's good to talk about. You know, we can talk about the application requirements for using Extendamax herbicide as well. So uh, really what we're encouraging growers to do is to spray early with confidence. And and what that means is uh, growers oftentimes, as we mentioned earlier, sprayed Extendamax as part of their pre and their, and their burn down program around planting time. And really we'd like growers to spray uh, their post application within 30 days uh, of planting that crop. So uh, really what, what, what the benefit of doing that is overlapping residuals. So you, you get residual from uh, applying extended max herbicide. And, and with that, we, we would like growers to tank mix products with products like uh, Roundup Power Max 2 and Warrant herbicide as well as herbicide. So really what that does is allows your residual from your post application to overlap with the product that you put down pre. And, and again, really what that means is we're controlling weeds and, and, and keeping weeds from emerging uh, instead of going out and waiting for more weeds to come up uh, and then spraying them. And, and I think a lot of times growers tend to do that uh, just because they get to see that the visual effect of uh, spraying weeds that you can see, you know, they're out of the ground, you can watch them uh, curl up and, and senesce after they're sprayed with, with really any post-emergence herbicide. But uh, that puts more selection pressure on the system. And also, uh, if you have any escapes or if you have any sprayer malfunctions and you, and you miss areas in the field, it's better to do that when the weeds are at two inches uh, than when they're, you know, above that four inch size. And, and really, once we get past four inch weed heights, uh, they become uh, much more difficult to control. So uh, spraying with early with confidence 30 days uh, after you plant not only lets you have overlapping residual control, but lets you get those weeds while they're still small and, and actively growing. Um, I, with that, I also touch on the, the application requirements. So there were some of these were changes for uh, 2018. Uh, in, in terms of record keeping, uh, anyone spraying Extendamax herbicide needs to have attended uh, a mandatory dicamba training. Those were put on by uh, Monsanto, DuPont, and BASF here this winter. Uh, and records must be kept for up to uh, two years. And I think a key to that record keeping, Brent, is to check the uh, product label before you spray, uh, seven days before you spray. Um, you can find that label at requirements. Uh, dot com. Some other key things to keep in mind when spraying this product is to not spray when there are uh, sensitive or sensitive crops downwind from where you're spraying. Um, and any other time where you are spraying and there are no crops downwind that are sensitive to Xenomax herbicide, a 110-foot buffer uh, needs to be maintained. Uh, some other keys are to not use ammonium sulfate in the tank. Uh, this is really a big one in terms of uh, tank cleanout making sure if you have used AMS earlier in the season that uh, that tank is really uh, clean before you go out and spray. 
um, using a spray, a spray volume of 15 gallons per acre, uh, having your boom height set at 24 inches above the uh, intended target, uh, and um, with that, maintaining a ground speed of, of 15 miles per hour. In terms of a few other things to check, uh, if you go to that website, again, that's www.extendamaxapplicationrequirements.com. You can look at the list of approved nozzles for spraying Extendamax, our tank mix partners, so products that are approved to be tank, tank mixed with Extendamax herbicide are on that website as well. Uh, the last thing is to uh, really watch uh, your environmental conditions. So your wind speed, that wind needs to be between 3 and 10 miles per hour for application, uh, and then only spray uh, between sunrise and, and sunset, and uh, really be mindful of temperature inversions both early in the morning and late in the evening. Yeah, Matt. So you, you've mentioned the the uh, record keeping requirements and, and watching the forecast. And, and so uh, do you want to just touch on the the uh, new app uh, that we have out? And, and I think that app really does a wonderful job of, of bringing everything into one spot to to help us have a better experience in the field. Uh, absolutely. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that. So uh, we've launched the Roundup Ready Extend uh, spray app. So this is an app that works in conjunction with the Roundup Ready Extend cropping system. Uh, this app is available in both the uh, Google Play Store as well as uh, the iTunes App Store. Uh, and I've, I've, I've already used this app actually for our, uh, our burn down applications at Atlantic and had really good uh, luck using this uh, as a way to kind of help me make spray decisions. So this app really includes three functions. So the first is a, is a forecast, which allows you to help kind of plan uh, when you're going to spray. And, and really what this resource does is lets you drop a pin in the specific field that you're spraying, and then it gives you an hourly forecast for that precise location. So that forecast includes temperature, relative humidity, uh, wind at the height of the boom, which is uh, about three feet, uh, and then it also calculates an inversion risk. So this is kind of a nice guide. It'll, it'll help you uh, you know, when you go out to the field, you still need to measure the wind at the field. But in terms of what your afternoon is going to look like and, you know, should you spray today or not, that forecast tool can really help you make those uh, decisions. Uh, there's also a record keeping component. And again, this is something I found incredibly useful uh, making my burn down applications. Uh, you can create a user profile and enter in a lot of your sprayer information, is your certified applicator number and your, uh, your site address. Uh, and then from there, you can go through and uh, basically fill out all of the record-keeping requirements uh, for spraying Extendamax herbicide right here in the app. Uh, the best part about this is it, uh, after you're finished, you can save it to your profile on the app, and those records will then be kept electronically. So there's no need to print them out and, and put them in a binder or anything like that. And then the last part is the resources function of this app. So uh, the Roundup Ready Spray app contains resources uh, to find information on how we record temperature and relative humidity. Uh, you can learn more about mandatory dicamba trainings through this app. Uh, it also has links to the approved tank mix products, the approved nozzles, um, and a few cool videos collection uh, and the importance of cleaning out your sprayer. Uh, and through this app as well, you can reach the product label, which again, needs to be consulted seven days before you spray. So really Brent, this app is kind of the home for everything, all the information you would need uh, to go apply Extendamax herbicide. Yeah, de definitely uh, the the Walmart of apps, the all-in-one uh, resource, all-in-one resource place for uh, the Roundup Ready Extend cropping system, if you do say 
say so. And, and I've found it very useful myself on my own uh, personal fields and crop, uh, getting ready to spray our burn down uh, on my beans, uh, just being able to watch that forecast and the wind speed and direction and, and inversion risk is, is a very handy tool, let alone the record keeping portion uh, of it as well. So uh, a nice function here to help that uh, grower experience through throughout the summer. So, so we've, we've touched on the, the, the spray with confidence and, and we're, we're really getting to that uh, three to four week window post post planning or post emergence. And, you know, we're, we're coming up on that time. And so we kind of felt like this would be some uh, very timely, very valuable information as we, as we get into that post emergence spring. Um, but any, uh, any last tips as we, as we get into that uh, post emerge spraying here, Matt, and, and otherwise we'll let you go. Yeah. In terms of, uh, you know, the using the roundup ready extend cropping system. Uh, and this is really just, good knowledge for, for any farmer uh, or anybody who sprays pesticides. Uh, my advice is to get out and, and scout, to get out in your fields. This is the time of year where it's fun to be out in the fields versus July when the, when the corn is shoulder height. Um, so one, as a grower, be scouting for one, any agronomic issues you may be seeing, whether it's disease or fertility, uh, but mainly for uh, weed species, you know, know what's out in your field, uh, know at what growth stage they are. Uh, keep watching in, in terms of, Water hemp, uh, there's normally a flush of those weeds that will start emerging uh, here within the next couple weeks. So be out and, and be scouting your fields. And then in relation to uh, Roundup Ready Extend soybeans and the Extend cropping system, uh, scout what's around your fields. Be a good neighbor. Uh, talk to uh, anybody who farms around you. Uh, be cognizant of your surroundings as you prepare to, to make post-emergence applications. Uh, and again, that's all kind of goes into that scouting of your fields and, and just knowing what your local conditions are. Yeah, Matt, you brought up a point earlier about, uh, you know, overlapping those residuals as well and, and, and really wanting to see those, uh, those weeds uh, emerge before you spray. And I think, I think many of us, myself included, are, are in that camp where, I'm sorry, but I just like to see dead weeds. Yeah, I mean, it's just just part of a, of a farmer's uh, profile, I guess. And, but I think you're right. I mean, you know, don't, because past experience is that by the time we see those emerge weeds, they're two to three inches tall. And by the time we get to them and pull the trigger, you know, we hope that they're four inches tall, but oftentimes, oftentimes they're not. So, you know, just, just go out with confidence in that 22 to 30 day window and, and get them sprayed and, um, you know, then I think we just enhance our grower experience. Absolutely. And I, I know it, it is fun to watch merge weeds uh, curl up and turn brown. But uh, again, as, as we get out in the fields, just uh, be aware of what's going on. If, and if you do pay attention, uh, you can time that application correctly. And, uh, and again, spray within that 22 to, to 30 day window and, and uh, really keep those weeds suppressed for the rest of the, of the growing season and until the soybeans uh, reach their canopy. Yeah, good stuff, Matthew. So, hey, uh, how if anybody wants to follow you uh, on social media, how do they? How would they do that? Yes, uh, so you can find me on Twitter, and uh, I tweet a lot of uh, agronomic information and, and pictures that I come across in the field, and also um, some things about the Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, I, I, I don't ma manage to to keep that off of my my Twitter because that's part of who I am. So, if you're interested in both, you can find me on Twitter at m. 
Nelson underscore ISU. And that's S O N, correct? Yes. M great. N E L S O N. Great. Yes. Uh, very good follow for uh, cyclones as well. Not just agronomics. So, uh, Hey, Matthew, thanks a lot for joining us today. And, and thanks to our listeners for joining in. And if you got any comments or, or questions, be sure to send them our way and, and use the hashtag ask Iowa agronomy. Thanks for joining. Bye.